Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Walden. My guest today is Gabriele Gorelli. Gabriele was born in Montalcino in 1984, and his grandfather used to be the smallest Brunello di Montalcino producer. Is that correct? Yeah, correct, Monty. Nice to meet you. L- l- sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so what was it like um, when you were very small growing up um, with your grandfather in southwestern Montalcino? Is that correct? Yes, right uh, out of the walls of Montalcino and a very a pretty high altitude site. He had this very small vineyard. You could really count the vines. Uh, yeah, half, less than half a hectare, wasn't it? Sorry? Less than half a hectare of vines. Less than half a hectare. Brunello. And then a little bit more, but not Brunello for, for home consumption, you know. Well, what was your grandfather called? Giancarlo. Mm-hmm. And so he just had a little bit of vineyard. And did he grow like vegetables and fruit and things like that? Um, as you say, like self, you know, self-sufficient. Exactly. And chickens and uh, rabbits and uh, all this kind of stuff. The, the, the old fattoria, but without living in the fattoria because he was living within the walls of Montalcino, but like, I mean, five minutes drive from uh, the vineyard. So he could go there literally every day to check and to work and you used to go and help him as well did you when you were a little boy yes of course of course i did a lot of damage uh, while being a little boy there and uh but i really developed a passion for that because you know even my father and my uncle were working with with my grandpa and uh I know, you know, I, I was the only kid in the family at that moment, and uh, uh, I felt like I, I was destined to help them. Uh-huh. And then you went, um, so then you went to, uh, obviously you went to school, and what did you study when you left school? What was your speciality? Oh, well, uh, I always tried to be focused on something that didn't really uh put me on on a track which I had to keep for a long time. Uh, that's why I decided to study languages. And so I studied English, I studied French and German. And um, I wasn't focused on the, the you know cultivation of the vineyard or stuff like that because by the time I started school at the gymnasium, I mean, my father, grandfather retired and my uncle decided to found another uh, winery uh, at the moment. So at that moment, my cousins were already born. And so I, I felt like, okay, my, um, my, the family wasn't the same as it used to be. And uh, so I, I felt like I was going to, to learn how to uh, live in the world and then uh, I could think to get back into wine at a certain moment, a certain point. So you, you got quite a nice combo. So as a small kid growing up into an adult, um, you got a nice blend of practical knowledge from, from your grandfather and a sort of academic side to you, knowing really what you wanted to do as a, as a possible career. You ruled out 
growing wine yourself. So then what was your next step? What was your next step? So then I joined the university in Siena and I did uh, communication science. But uh, at the same time, actually the same year, I started working uh, in design, in photography. But everything was focused in Montalcino. So everything was focused to uh, wine. And so uh, this was a, you know, a side effect of the, the power of wine, especially here in the area. So I started uh, working uh, as a designer, so I, to, to do labels and web design and stuff like that. And at the same time, I started specializing myself in the product which I, I needed to, to know the most, which was wine itself. Was that um? So was that with um? Did you f- have a company called Brookshaw and Gorelli? Exactly, exactly. We we the the the, the advertising agency, which is a wine focused advertising agency, as I was telling you, it was funded in two thousand four. So Sorry. I was uh, twenty years old, but uh, I I'm still there. I am the CEO now, and I hold fifty uh, percent of the of the company now. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of day to day, what's a typical day for you? Assuming you're in Italy, I know you travel a lot, but just say a typical day in Italy and a typical day in, um, I guess you're based in the UK. When you're in the UK, you're in London, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, oh, so a typical day, typical day here in Montalcino would be, uh, you know, trying to, to get a grip on uh, the, uh, the program of things to do. So, photos and video to shoot and, um, and designing labels uh, or designing uh, websites. So meeting customers uh, and trying to find a, a way to, to enhance their storytelling through images or through words and graphics. While I am in, uh, in London, also in the UK, uh, I, I go there, especially uh, under cover of uh, uh, Master Wine students. So my days there used to be very tough, uh, tasting, blind tasting and, uh, and working on the, on the theory. Uh, at the moment, uh, since I passed the exam last year, uh, I'm focusing on my research paper, which is a very, very lonely task you have to do to get to your title. Oh, right. So you've passed the tasting and the theory, have you? So I passed in, in two years because I, the, the first year I passed, uh, I passed the tasting, but the four-fifths of the uh, theory only. So I needed to reseat one, uh, one paper, which was actually viticulture, which I'm a little bit ashamed of. But wasn't about knowledge, the, the thing that didn't let me through. It was more about the fact I was so uh, into it that I decided to answer the question I, I wished I had <laughs> in my paper beside answering the actual question. And that's, that's what get me a C. And so th- that's why I had to restate my my paper the, the year after, which was 2019, and I passed that year. Okay, so you've just got to do your dissertation. 
Yes, it's not called dissertation anymore. It's now called uh, research paper. It's slightly different uh, aim, and uh, but still, it's uh, it's what in Cambridge or in Oxford they they call the like the 150 hour project. So it's 10,000 words maximum project, which can be uh, experimental or can can be uh, survey based or you know it's it's a research project more than a dissertation so it needs to be uh, to have a lot of hard facts to to work on and to show the analysis do they call it an investigation still an investigation into blah 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 pretty much yeah that's about right so you i mean i imagine you're going to get through that and you will be an mw i mean how if if you assuming you do pass i mean how is that going to change your life? Does it mean that you put your prices up or are you just doing it um, because, because you see it's a personal challenge? I think, I think uh, my life has been changing through the, the, the years I've been into the uh, NW program because, you know, by the time you, you make friends, you do networking with the guys that you work and study, Together with you, it's it's already a, a game changer because you you are part uh, uh, of a slightly bigger elite than uh, the actual MWs one, but it's still an elite because there are uh, as much as students uh, now that uh, as much as masters of wine. So like three hundred and eighty students to three hundred and eighty masters of wine. At the moment, so it's it's already an elite to be an NW student, and I and I joined the institute in 2014, so I've been there for a while, and that was really changing the way I approached work, the way I approached even life, uh, I would say, and uh, and of course uh, it's strongly impacting and affecting every. Every relationship and every task you you're asked to accomplish, when being an NW, I think these will be even more uh, evident and empowered, but with the same like tone. Keeping your feet on the ground, you mean? Mm-hmm, of course. So, I mean, in terms of um, your work. Um, you know, the designing and, and consulting. Um, how has the how has your study improved or or changed the way that you work or the advice that you give? Okay, so I I've always been very uh, I want to say humanistic and Mediterranean uh, in the sense that I've been very flowery on in writing and uh, and not very strongly based on uh, numbers and figures and artifacts despite being i mean a, a good uh, student even at school but you know the nw really uh, lets you distill the information let you analyze the information critically analyze the information and let you convey your message in a, in a more succinct in a, in a very um, effective manner that really uh, empowers the the way you're working, the way you are uh, relating to to people, and, uh, and the way you're tackling your uh, your everyday tasks. 
Um, of course, there is also the uh, real life thing. So the fact that you, if you want to pass the exam, you need to be in shape. So this is a side effect of BMW. I mean, you cannot really uh, sit hunched over at your desk and, uh, and try to pass going through the books. You need to have hands-on knowledge and you need to be in shape, in the, even physically in shape. And uh, when I started my, my program, uh, one year after, I felt like I had to start something that really let me feel uh, better. And then I started doing yoga. And these never abandoned me uh, throughout the program and, and is now part of my life. So it's strongly changed the way even I am living by, by a side effect, of course, but still has. Has that made you a better professional in terms of the advice that you give and the ideas that you have when you're with a client? You're trying to get out away less from stereotypes, stereotypical marketing, um, either sound bites or, or labels, or um, how has it impacted on your work directly? I, I would say so because it's it's very it's something that really um, enhances your knowledge and uh, your ability to compare things in a in a critical way. So you have a broader knowledge with uh, a more than decent depth in several, um, I would say, stages of the, the, the value chain that really help you to, to know what you're talking about in pretty much every situation. And I would say, uh, you know, things from a global perspective, because most of the time we have many experts in Italy uh, that are so focused in, in Italy that they cannot focus on anything else. And I think what the NW has taught me most of the time is to make a step back and to kind of see the bigger picture, not to focus too much on something that will let you, you know, blur your vision uh, on a more global uh, picture. And that is really enhancing the, 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 the power you have to, to put things together, to connect dots. And of course, there is no more stereotypical um, you know, uh, way to approach stuff. I mean, it's always something you want to experiment. It's always something that you want to try to go uh, in, in that direction. Uh, and you always want to, to be critical about what you've done, what other people have done. And uh, the, the real question is not what, it's why. It's always asking why. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, is there, is there anything we've missed? Um, what do you think? Uh, well, at, ah, also, also I, what's something I can say is that... Um, not only the NW program empowered my, you know, company, which is a, the advertising agency. I even founded another company, which is called KH Wines, in 2015, so one year after I uh, started the, the, the program, which is uh, focused on wine selection. I mean, it's it's uh, provides services for the importers that want to. Uh, import some uh, Italian or European in general wine uh, or distributors within Italy 
but also offers consultancy to wineries that want to go into international markets. So it is something that uh, uh, really puts into places uh, things that I've been experiencing and studying when, while I was in the NW program. So one of the, one of the things that you say, uh, you this idea of storytelling now is becoming very important for brands, particularly um, in competitive environments such as Brunello. I mean, people think that Brunello sells itself; it doesn't necessarily. In some ways, it does, but you still need a story. And um, what are the storytelling uh, tips that you could tell in general? If I'm a winemaker and I'm a Br- in Brunello, and I and I come to you, what what would um, what kind of thing would you tell me in terms of storytelling? Okay, there are there are several things that uh, I think now have a, a grip on the market, despite only being a producer of Brunello. Full stop. You need to you need to find your place in the appellation. I mean, you need to find your uh, uh, you know the, your audience. That's why uh, I think one of the most important advices I, I could give to people is to be their their own selves. Because they they cannot afford just to pretend being uh, something they are not, but they need to tell their story uh, from a very visceral point of view. I mean, they've been they they, be, they have to be very uh, honest on what they're doing, and uh, and to convey their message. I mean, they, their personality should shine through their products, but even from their communication. So uh, it is not um, about going through uh, their assets. It's more about going uh, through their personalities. So develop what uh, it's about for them to produce wine. So what's the, what's the family story? What's the, um, their approach? I mean, they, they do produce house style versus terroir driven so single vineyard style this kind of stuff and of course if uh, they are under organic or biodynamic regime this should be uh, one of, of the the most prioritizable uh, values to to convey but always with the infused in their own in their own personality because we we are full of uh, people that do wine as a me to behavior but which is which is something that uh, really the consumer uh, cannot cannot get and and that's why i always advise people to find go and find a deeper uh, foundation of their their uh, the wineries within themselves so it's interesting that you say that i mean uh, imagine going back to your grandfather that he um never heard of storytelling or marketing or anything like that but he would have been a, a classic case of um he could almost write his own story um you know full of authentic you know anecdotes uh, man of the soil um that kind of thing and with no no artifice at all wake up early in the morning all weathers outside pruning and plowing and looking after the vines um he'd have been a great candidate i think for your for your company would have been the easiest client you ever had or would ever have had Absolutely, that that's that's the the authenticity I, I I talk about, especially in a very high quality area where there are a lot of producers that own 
very small pieces, bits and lands of land, you need to have your own personality to shine through because we here we do not have any classification of the vineyards. So it's more a producer related um, quality uh, that you can perceive as a, as a consumer. So if you, if you stick to the, to the producer that really works for your uh, you know, uh, values, I think it's the best thing you can do because you have a loyal customer, you have a loyal consumer, not somebody that will uh, go for uh, uh, a better story, but uh, are not as authentic as yours. Okay. Do you think you'll ever make your wine yourself? Well, I like to do blending. I I don't think I am ready to to oversee the whole process but uh and and of course I'm, i had no time to do that now and it is something that really needs to to settle in my mind uh but yes i do like to do blending because i like to to design wines in the sense that i, I wanna i wanna send specific messages when uh, when uh, producing one wine but i haven't got in control the the whole value chain. The, I'm only having the some uh, vats to to blend with. The only uh, interesting experiment I did it was last year, so vintage 2019, and together with uh, Maurizio Castelli, we we sourced uh, a bit of Sangiovese, uh, organic Sangiovese, and organic Trebbiano grapes. And we did a full uh, vessel uh, and with a whole bunch and no, no sulfur dioxide, which was uh, feet stomped. Uh, and we, we just have only 3,000 bottles of it. And it is uh, a pretty, pretty nice example of uh, a classic wine, a co-fermented, uh, you know, contadino wine of... Uh, of a few decades ago, that was uh, 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 the winemaking, the most uh, close to a winemaking uh, experience I had this year. Yeah, contadino means it's sort of like a subsistence farmer. I mean, you, in the old days, you would call a, a contadino or a contadina um, a um, not a peasant, but a yeah subsistence uh, farmer. And Maurizio Castelli is um, one of the. Um, most respected um, consultants in in Italy for wine, in terms of both in terms of viticulture and in terms of winemaking, and he lives near near Montalcino, and he's someone I've got huge respect for. So I'm I didn't know you were working with him. Um, it's a, it seems like a good uh, combination with your youthful enthusiasm uh, and his uh, uh, laid back experience. Um, that sounds like a pretty interesting project. Well, we, we are very close friends. Uh, we, we like to do things together. And this idea of a co-fermented wine uh, was something that we had since, uh, since one year. And you know that this year, the, the harvest, I mean, in 2019, the harvest was pretty delayed. And so we had time to sort the grapes at the right, uh, at the right moment. And, uh, and, we, and we wanted to, to do this try. And this product is going to be called Sensarete, so without nets. There is no added anything. There is no safe safety net. And uh, so the Sensarete, which is also 
without connection. It's uh, it's something that uh, would be, I think, a trailblazer for several other varieties vinified uh, with skins, with whole bunch, uh, in in the case of reds, and uh, with no addition whatsoever. Interesting. So, what market is that destined for then? Actually, it was. Uh, uh, stimulated by a friend of mine, which is also an NW student, and you see how networking works in uh, in the uh, wine industry, and because she was looking for uh, a um, co-fermented wines, which is pretty rare now, I would say, and uh, I think New York market will be the, the first the first market to to go to. Uh, and also Italy, because of uh, you know Castelli name, it's it's pretty renowned, and uh, you know it's, it's renowned to, for producing wines for uh, decades for the same customer. For example, for example, as uh, Badia Coltibono for has been there for forty years consulting. It's it's something it, it's unique because you have consultants that go back and forth from from uh, estates but 40 years consulting for the same it's uh, it, it's pretty interesting i would say so uh, i mean castelli is a name that can can be can be used uh, to convey the message that this is a is a wine of absolute quality but is made with a very rudimental and it's a very uh, simple uh, way and traditional one so there is a story beside that. And the Sensarete story, I think it's something that uh, it's nice to tell because uh, now we are all connected in these days more than, uh, more than always because we need to. But uh, going Sensarete, going without safety net, going without net, some, most of the time can be very healthy. Yeah, for sure. Um, but as long as you, I mean, the thing what you're saying is it's like a natural wine, but with some... A little bit of science behind it and um yes. that's why i think it's a good idea with doing what you're doing with uh, marito castelli and as you say only 40 years at um badia coltibono as the as the consultant um it's one of the largest um organic estates in uh, in chianti classico exactly and, uh, so it's quite it's a, it's a good uh, it's a good marriage between his uh, old head and your sort of younger um way of looking at things and uh, identifying particularly as you mentioned the new york uh, where anything sort of natural is is very hot at the moment, but I think the idea of you coming up with a wine that is um, natural, but also um, I'm, I'm not going to say drinkable, but um, you know what I mean, not funky and not funky and corrupted unnecessarily. Um, I think you could have um, a good impact there. You know, you're a great communicator, uh, you're a young lad, and um, you've got a lot of energy about you, and uh, you've got a great future ahead. And I'm sure once you've got your MW. Um, and just to get that out of the way rather than having the magic letters after your name will allow you to focus even more fully on some of these projects. So I want to say thanks very much to you, Gabriele Gorelli, who's uh, from Montalcino, but he's a man of the world and he's got many strings to his bow. He's probably going to be an MW one day. And um, next time you're back in Montalcino, um, be great to go down to... Um, see that vineyard, your family vineyard where you, where you were a little boy and we can have a little look around there, okay? Okay, I will. Thank you very right. much, Monty. It's been a pleasure. It's my pleasure hearing, listening to you and um, wish you every success 
with um, with your education and with your um, with your business. Thanks a lot, Gabrielli. Listen to all of our pods on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and on ItalianWinePodcast.com. Don't forget to send your tweets to at Podcast. Thank you.